You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Why don't we start with a short prayer. Gracious Father, for this day, um, uh, for your mercies, uh, for your grace, for this church, um, for your word, we give you thanks. And now ask, Lord, that you would be with us. Correct me where I'm wrong and strengthen uh, what you would have known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, good morning. Uh, going through this series, short summaries. Um, we're sort of on the downhill side of it, in fact. Um, today, you can see the first paragraph there in your handout. Um, if I were giving this kind of a part one, part two, and there might even be three parts in terms of the way these summaries have a progression, this would be the beginning of part two. If uh, the first part was really hitting hard, um, why we take sin so seriously and how we we come to know our sin, and that's the living and active Word of God, which interprets us more than we interpret it. And so the Word tells us who we are, a sinner um, in dire straits. Um, but then the second Word of God, the final Word of God, the Gospel, also tells us that we are a sinner who is loved by God. Um, in fact, loved into a lovability. Um, and that the, the Gospel, um, the embodiment of God's grace, does not find something lovable and say, there, there she is. That's the one that I love. There, there she is. I can, or he is. I can work with him. No, it says there, there it is, a piling, a pile of need. And I'm going to take that and love it into something lovable. And that's what, that's what, that's what the love of God does. It loves us into something that we're not. Um, His son, his daughter, uh, then he looks at us and says, with you, I am well pleased. Um, Uh, That's what we hit really hard all through this first part. What is sin? What is the living and active word of God? What is the law? What is the gospel? The two are always distinguished but never separated. They're always working together, but the two never are bedfellows, as somebody once said. They're always in different offices. They're always in different rooms um, because they two do very, very different things. What is grace? What is faith? Um, Hit all that last week in part um, didn't get to, but then sort of the capstone, uh, sort of a reformational uh, uh, tack that we're taking here. What do we make of the great cry of the Reformation to be justified by faith? Um, more fully to be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Um, and then we have scripture alone to the glory of God alone. The five solas of the Reformation, as they're called. Part one, that's all there, um, which has to do with the scriptural word where scripture comes to us, where theology is not something out there embodied for brainiacs to do, but in fact theology is the thing which God does when he does himself to us. The word of God, living and active, um, convicting, assaulting, coming to me, even killing the old Adam, where the gospel then stands outside the grave and says, come forth, Lazarus, little girl, get up, Gil, you I know, and you I love. Um, so that's part one. But now we go to part two, where we start to then think, what happens when we proclaim this freeing power of the gospel, this living and active word uh, of law and gospel? Um, how does that begin to play out? And we start thinking about things like proclamation, which is what we're going to look at this morning, alongside of preaching um, and uh uh, and then setting up next week for things like discipleship and sanctification and vocation. Um, uh, some things I think a lot of us are trying to think through 
a little uh, very closely. Um, so that's kind of where we are. Any thoughts there? That's kind of the summary. Let people get settled in here. And, and uh, a lot of words in front of you, um, especially today, uh, I think probably means I'm not as clear as I want to be because it got longer. Um, uh, Abe Lincoln was right, and a lot of other people said it too. Um, Ma'am, I'm sorry that the pressures of the current war uh, prevent me from writing you a properly brief letter. Um, uh, it's hard to be brief, um, to have clarity of thought, to then have clarity of word, to say what you want to say in a short amount of time. Gosh, it's an art. <laughs> I can really appreciate it. I'm not very good at it, but I'm here. So that's why you have a lot of words in front of you. But, um, uh, any thoughts before we get started? Um, questions? The proclamation. Um, started with uh, uh, our statement of purpose when we went to the visioning process a couple of years ago. Um, our identity as a church with a living, daring confidence in the gospel of God's grace uh, known in, 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 in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, our purpose has two parts, and there's a definite sequence to them. The Advent exists, that's our purpose, to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel and make disciples in the places where God has placed us. There is an order, um, the proclamation of the freeing power of the gospel. The word proclaim, the verb proclaim, is not at all an incidental word, which is why it's worth pausing and kind of putting a flag down and thinking about what proclamation is and often what it means when it's not. Um, and so uh, for this particular section, um, as I was working through it, it just seemed like uh, uh, a number numbering the paragraphs where they're interrelated thoughts but not necessarily directly direct transitions seem to be the right way forward and when I get through this I want to leave time for repentance because repentance is kind of the that's where the money is um, I think that's where uh, that's where I find the the uh, the richest edge but proclamation right here what is proclamation two of the gospels are important to remember this have a great commission Matthew the most well-known um, go therefore uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The last words in Matthew's gospel. But the last words in Mark's gospel, not quite as well known, um, and a little bit spurious, because some of the early manuscripts don't include this part of Mark, but nonetheless, it's in the canon. Um, go into the world, go into all the world, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so we join those two together in our purpose statements. We exist to proclaim the gospel, its freeing power specifically, to the whole creation, to the whole world. And then also go, um, so we're going into the world uh, and making disciples in the places where God has placed us. But it's important to find the scriptural base for each of those, um, Mark and Matthew, and our commission by our Lord himself to go into the world proclaiming and making. Um, and then number two, the living and active word, law and gospel, delivers. That's an important word. When you hear proclamation, um, one of the words I hope we begin to connote, to connect to it, is delivery. Think Amazon. I mean, it really is just kind of that basic. Point A, point B, and a vehicle moves the package from this, from here to there. Um, that's proclamation. Um, the living and active word delivers concretely to the hearer the needed effect. And you can read the rest. And then three, here's the uh, here's where it begins to, to hopefully make become a little bit more clear. Um, do we proclaim the law? Um, and that answer is no. We preach the law, 
We certainly preach law and gospel, the two words of God, but we don't proclaim the law. Why? Um, proclamation, the, the idea here is, is um, you know, herald glad tidings, publish glad tidings, proclaim glad tidings. Um, we hear sometimes in our Christmas carols these ideas, these words. It's this idea of a, of a messenger, of a herald coming from a faraway land, a word directly from the king even. This is all sort of buried in the word uh, where he comes from beyond the walls, and it's a word that's outside. Now, it also, if you've been in this class, in this series, um, remember the verbum externum, the external word which delivers the alien righteousness of Christ. Um, alien there is not sort of extraterrestrial, but it is extra-personal. It's not in us. The word has to be given to us, heralded to us, delivered to us from outside of ourselves. That's not true of the law. The law, as Romans 2 said, um, uh, is written on our hearts, Jews and Gentiles alike. We're born under sin. We're born under the law. It's native to us. It's already inside the walls. The law is inside the camp. The word from beyond, the word of rescue, the word of resuscitation, the word of deliverance comes to us from the herald himself, the herald and the messenger of the king. So the gospel is proclaimed, it's heralded, it's published as an alien extrinsic word. And that's really important. That's buried, in fact, in our purpose statement to proclaim the external alien word outside of us, which then takes us somewhere that we can't go ourselves, um, to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel. And that's there in that third uh, paragraph in the proclamation piece. I'll go through these and then we'll stop. And you can ask questions if you want to. Um, uh, to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel is more than just wishing good things for people. Um, proclamation is very close to preaching. The two words are almost um, almost synonymous. You can almost interchange the two. To be a preacher is to be a proclaimer. We'll see that in what is preaching and who is a preacher. Uh, but more than that, to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel also has, again, in our sort of you know identity language, this living, daring confidence. It's more than just a wish. To proclaim has the force of law, as it were. The force of the king is a better word. I want to mix the metaphor here. The force of the king or the force of another who is forceful and is forcible. Um, so when a messenger comes and he heralds uh, this edict from the king, oye, 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 uh, the words matter and they have power. They have an effect on the people who hear them only because they come from another who himself uh, is powerful, um, who can carry it through. And so to proclaim the freeing power of the gospel, um, this is where it gets, uh, I, don't know what it, I don't know how it gets, I'll let you decide that, um, uh, is more than just to stand up in a pulpit, but that's not the only place you proclaim, more than sitting across a table or from a cup of coffee with a friend or a neighbor or whoever else. It's more than just saying, gosh, I wish... Uh, they get this. I hope, I hope they're helped by this. Where it's a little bit of a neutral word or it's put out there and it's left in this space and it doesn't have the power. There's a confidence that the word is going to do its work. It's going to do what the word was appointed to do. That it outside of any of us, outside of the messenger, 
has a power to it. And so I had this um, imaginary conversation of a preacher on Sunday morning uh, with this idea that God will do what he says his word will do, for his word will not return to him void, uh, uh, as Isaiah says. Uh, But the preacher wouldn't stand up there and say, gosh, I hope they understand what I'm trying to say. Bill seems like he could use a shot in the arm right now, and Jane and her group are wrong in the way they're thinking about X. This should set them straight. Maybe this will stir Sam from just going through the motions. He seems content just to show up, and I hope the new person likes my sermon and comes back. To proclaim the freeing power of the gospel is to have a confidence, a living, daring confidence that the word of God will do the work of God, the proper work of God, to save sinners. That's the power of proclamation. Um, uh, One example um, that I think of when I think of this as proclaiming is a mother or father with a crying baby. It's a word of power that's proclaimed where the word does what it says and it has an effect for it's a word that the child needs and it's outside of him or herself and they have peace and calm so that's in the fifth bullet but then the sixth uh, related to the fourth proclamation doesn't just talk about the Christian life it actually gives it fine distinction but one that needs to be underscored Um, this is why in the act of proclamation the one who proclaims a preacher need not waste time time to convince people that this is the word of God. Instead, preach and proclaim the word of God, letting it do its killing work on the old Adam to bring forth a new creation. And that's what we, the hearers, experience when we're on the, on the receiving end of a proclaimed word. When, we are, when our hearts are stirred in two ways. Uh, the unevangelized continents on our human heart, I think that's Joseph Conrad. I've always given him that, the heart of darkness guy. Um, but I, I've, I've looked and I can't find it, but I remember that phrase, anyway, I, I credit Conrad, the unevangelized continents of our hearts are stirred Sunday to Sunday, as well as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, with this word from outside of myself that has to be told me again and again and again. And then I rise out of the grave and go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Um, it's the needed word, and that's proclamation. Any thoughts there? That is a hose, I know, drinking out of a fire hydrant. But, um, to proclaim, to deliver confidently a word that will do its work. Um, a herald. Any questions, thoughts? I just like the simplicity of you saying that about a baby and saying that it's creative, that it's in the moment, and that's where you feel the power of the Holy Spirit sometimes. Mm. And I think that's where sometimes I struggle with what to say because we really don't know what to say without the Lord ciphering through. Yet he's so faithful. I loved hearing Steve Paulson talk about, it's a promise, it's going to happen. You know, just relax in that and trust in his word and and I think that's something missing a lot of times, that we can just really enter in and trust in the power of that and not have to feel like it's on us. Mm. I tend to put it on me to come up with the right word or the right, you know, how to orchestrate that moment. Amen. I think the, relax, <clears throat> the relaxation is important. When you're in angst, dealing mm. with anybody over anything, mm. they, they become angst. Mm. And, and they can't hear mm. anything you have to say. Mm. So I think the relaxation is mm-hmm. nice. And you relax because you're kind of 
when a close cousin of proclamation is preaching, um, preaching, this is not um, how to construct a sermon. Um, this, isn't, this little section isn't, you know, what is preaching, the, a tip for preachers and how to use illustrations properly or how to get past somebody's, you know, psychological defenses, et cetera, and so forth. You know, I hope it lays the foundation upon which those sorts of things could be done, but that's not what this is about. So what is this about? trying to, to, to find out what that word particularly means because it's different than teaching. Um, to preach is not to teach. Um, to deliver a sermon is not to deliver a class. A pulpit is not a lectern. Um, uh, and so where is the proper place for preaching, teaching, admonishment, exhortation, um, reproof, rebuke, uh, so that the man or woman of God may be equipped for every good work, as Timothy says. Um, uh, that's what this section is about. And here, I did this in a couple of places, it's just obvious. The dictionary is wrong, at least in terms of how we, and I use this place for a footnote too, to, uh, to also hasten to add that there's a lot of ideas about preaching, and this is not an exhaustive encyclopedia entry on the understandings of preaching. This is how we, the Advent, um, have held preaching for a number of years now, at least, to understand this specific office or task of one who is given to preach and proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus and his gospel. Um, so preaching is not what the dictionary thinks it is. Um, went through several of those parts where it's not um, someone insisting on abandoning a course of idea, persuasive argument, or an earnest appeal to something sincerely held, pleading, drilling down what feels like irrelevant details separated from life's actual concerns, uh, overly emphasizing instruction, which I'm in danger of right now, or exhorting uh, in a meddlesome or tiresome manner, um, wearing someone down. And then Madonna came out, you know, Papa don't preach. The worst, and this is what most of us think, you know, it's, you know, Papa don't preach because I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm in real pain here with something that's, that's, that's actually happening to me. And I need a real word. So please don't preach. Because preaching isn't for real life. It's just for that Sunday morning thing that you do when you get dressed up and do nice things to nice people. And that's so sad because it's exactly wrong. Um, uh, but, but it's exactly what most people associate preaching. When we think of someone being a preacher, we think of someone assuming an air of superiority where they look down on another saying, oh, you common people, you, you, if you could be like me, in my moral and intellectual sort of high horsedness, is that a word? Um, uh, you know, then you could, you could, you could, you could be like me. Um, we've got to get all the way on the other side of the word to understand what preaching is, because that ain't it. Nothing like that. Um, so what is it then? Um, well, most of the time, I admit that's not true. Many times in the New Testament, when we wear the words "preach the gospel," like what's in our plaque. I think a lot of people in here would know this. If you can go up there, church is free game for anybody. Um, crawl up there, and in the in the on the rail of the pulpit is a quote from 1 Corinthians 9. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And the word there, Greek is a great language because it can do this. We looked at it like with believe and faith, they're all the same root. It's euangelizo, the verb of gospel. Gospel is euangelion, good, like euphonic. You can hear that word. An angelion, a message, like an angel is a messenger. Euangelion is the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus' death and resurrection for us. To gospel someone 
is to word them. Again, we talked about that last week with logizomai, same way that logos is a word, which means word in Greek, but then you can verb it by saying logizomai, to word somebody, which we call imputation. Well, here you can gospel someone. You can preach the gospel, which is living and active, and it delivers, it does what it says it will do. You know, Lazarus, come forth. Um, let there be light. You are forgiven. You are mine. You will not die. This is gospeling somebody. And woe to our preachers if they do not euangelizo. And that's what it is. Woe to me if I do not euangelizo. If I do not preach the gospel, deliver the living and active word that does the deed which it says. That is so vital. And that's what preaching is. Do you hear how different that is? Madonna needed that word. She needed you on Galiza and not a papa who preached saying, how could you do this and embarrass our family and, you know, da 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 You know, she needed deliverance. She needed somebody to get her from here to there because there was no way she could do it herself. Um, I was going to stay so closely to Madonna this morning, but you never know. Um, so, oh, but, yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, so that's the second part. Let's see what else is in here that you might need to look at. Um, uh, I may leave the others just so we can move forward to uh, repentance especially. Um, uh, talking about the different times where it is appropriate to, to teach, to apologize, as in to make an apology of making a defense for the faith which is in you, the word from Peter, uh, all the other places. But to, to preach is to preach. And to, to rebuke, to admonish, to exhort, to uh, uh, to correct, to instruct. Those are different offices. Those are different words which uh, can often have preaching involved. A teacher can lapse into preaching. I hope I do that when I'm here behind the lectern. Where I'll, I'll, uh, I'll for a moment have this be a pulpit and, and, and deliver through the Lord. The Lord would deliver through me the word of gospel, euangelizo. Um, but the office is specific, um, and that's what I wanted to say. Um, any thoughts, any questions about preaching and euangelizo? And there's other words there if you like to play with words, but um, uh, I don't feel like we need to go through those right now. Um, Can I ask for some clarity? Of course. Often in the study I'm in, we, we use, instead of a law, they use the term truth plus grace equals growth. I know that's Townsend and Cloud do that all the time. And that's not the law, or is that meaning the law, the truth? I mean, or is the truth got multiple meanings? I yeah. get kind of confused by all that. Yeah, multiple meanings. Um, what's true? Um, David, you are the man. <laughs> You know, that's, that is the full-on law, the convicting, killing word, the prophet Nathan to David. This will get us to repentance. Um, who was drunk. He couldn't see things the way they are. Um, he, during the time of year when kings typically go to war, David was in the wrong place because he couldn't see what he was supposed to be seeing, where he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to be doing, who he was, who God was. He was drunk. He couldn't see. He was not sober. Setting all up. That's what repentance is. is being brought to sobriety. Being brought to your senses so you see things clearly. So, 
truth can be law, which is why we preach the law, so that we can be brought to a right understanding of who I am, who God is, and the chasm that separates us. Um, it's a big deal. Um, so truth, uh, uh, but truth is also gospel. Um, you are the man, but you will not die. <laughs> um, for the covenant that I made with your forefather Abraham long, long, long ago, you forgot, but I have not. And I will tear apart my son and walk between the two of you. And I will take the punishment that you deserve upon myself because I promised that I would do that and I will do that. Um, you will not die. And that is also true. So truth is therefore freeing. The truth of being told who I am and what bad news that is. Uh, and then and only then, as I'm also told the truth of who God is and what he has done and how incredibly good news that is. Remember, grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. And it's completely a function of the giver. I can give one cookie or ten cookies or I can give the whole jar. It's completely up to me in all of its grace. And it's only in proportion to the gift or the, the, the giver's prerogative to determine the extent of grace. And so if an infinite God gives an infinite amount of grace to a very finite and determined sinner, now we have the economy of the gospel. Um, so what did Townsend and Cloud say? What was the, the phrase? Say, um, we needed the truth plus grace, grace and time to grow grow yeah. sanctification and then so sometimes it's hard for me to know do I speak the law to that person or speak you know all of that gets a big blur to me sometimes sure what's the sure law, what's truth and you're saying it is always the truth and there is a higher truth which seems to be mercy over the reality yes. of our situation always yep so also buried in here I don't know if it's helpful or not but when you drill down to those kind of real situations, I take a lot of confidence in knowing that the Holy Spirit alone is the only one who can discern the law from the gospel. Um, uh, because what I might offer, I think, you know, gosh, I'm just going to Yuan Galizo this person, just smear grace all over him. You know, come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You get it and there's, they hear it as absolute law. This happened once. And I was like, how in the world? I was as clear as I could be. How could they have at all thought? And it's like, well, he told me to come. And I, 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 I'm not coming to him. He doesn't know me. And he heard his absolute law. You know, come unto me. It's on the back of our, it's the compassionate statue right out there. Because it's a verb. It's the verb command, come unto me. And you heard it, come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden. You know, and there's the Holy Spirit. That man, the Holy Spirit, had to deliver the word to his ear and do the work that he needed doing. Um, so I release the word to God and some hear it as law, some hear it as gospel. I may think it's law. I may think it's gospel. And most of the time I think, you know, I'm not saying we're always wrong. Um, the preacher, the proclaimer, the teacher, the, the, the whoever, you and me. Uh, but the spirit alone is the author of the work that's being done. And so the word is released to do the work that it needs to do. Always distinguished but never separated law and gospel. I like that and I like
like what you said the first time about when you're here saying. Yeah, and that's right. That's about. right. You're still yep. wrestling with your flesh too of wanting to survive in it, even though you're being given. Yep, that's where I would disagree with Cloud and Townsend a little bit about growth. Mm-hmm. I think they probably have a different understanding of growth and holiness than I would want to paint. Mm-hmm. And that'll be next week, okay. I think. I haven't written next week yet. We'll see. <laughs> um, so the last part, I repeated a little bit. This is um, uh, the last paragraph on the the uh, uh, what section are we in? Um, preaching part. Um, preaching doesn't talk about the gospel, making about disinterested observations about God loving the ungodly over there. Um, but it's certainly not talking about living the gospel to the saints gathered here in the church as if there's this marked distinction between the unclean and the clean, the sinners and the saints, whatever else. Um, It's the act of gospel in euangelizo, the sinners and saints who are simul justus et peccator, at once righteous and sinful, Um, two hearts which exist in each one of us, uh, whom the Lord has placed in front of the preacher. Gospel-centered preaching leaves hearers in the hands of the Almighty, powerful, that's not yet good news, but now merciful and gracious God. Um, and now that is very good news indeed. So who's the preacher? We'll move quickly here. Uh, anybody who proclaims. You, the whole point of this little section is to say it's not just the person that occupies a pulpit in a church on a Sunday or a Thursday or a Wednesday. It's not just the pulpit person. You're a preacher. I'm a preacher. Anyone who proclaims the freeing, uh, the good news of God's freedom is preaching. So a husband to a wife or a mother to a son or a co-worker to a colleague or even an employee to an employer. I mean, it can go all sorts of ways. Uh, can have that opportunity to be a preacher. Um, uh, as attributed to Luther, I don't know if it actually said it or not, a lot of things are Lutheran, even though he may not have said them. Uh, preaching, one who, a preacher is one who simply tells another beggar where to get bread. Um, I like that. It's a nice way to think about it. So what is repentance? Um, uh, sin, I mentioned this earlier, um, some ways, the, the, the biggest contribution of the Reformation was a recovery of the biblical understanding of sin. Um, and this is why people ask, why are y'all so into the Reformation? This is my answer. Uh, because it recovers a fundamental understanding of what the Bible means when it talks about sin. So that's sort of the, the undercurrent. And it plays out in what we mean when we talk about repentance. Um, repentance was the hinge I'm going to make this up. The hinge upon which the door of the Reformation turned. When Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door, the first four of which had to do with repentance. It was a translation of uh, of Matthew 3 and 4. Repent and believe. Also repeated in Mark 1. Repent and believe in the gospel. Um, what does that word mean? Uh, to repent and to believe. Uh, the word repent, you can probably hear in the word pent, like penitentiary or penal. Um, has to do with punishment, pena, P-O-E-N-A in Latin means punishment. And so to do penance, uh, to, uh, to be repentant, was, was meant to undergo a certain amount of punishment to express voluntarily, um, to express one's sorrow or regret for being a sinner. And that's where everything got 
wampajawed, to quote something my grandmother used to say. Um, uh, that that's not at all what the word repentance means. That we normally think we got to sort of gen up or generate a certain amount of sorrow. So like, I'm sorry I did this, parentheses, or at least I'm sorry I got caught, close parentheses. Maybe now there's a chance for forgiveness, um, but you don't feel it, so you think maybe I'm not sorry enough or I didn't do enough, and now you start doing these acts of penance. Um, so there's some footnotes in here because I just want to get this stuff straight, which is why it's so long. Uh, why this all turned. Because in the Greek, I can't help but sort of play word, do some wordplay here. Rather than having that idea where the word pena, punishment, is in the middle of it, we go back a little bit further, and the word there in the first language, Greek, was um, metanoia, which means change of mind. Meta is, signifies the word change, and noia comes from nous, which means mind, is in, you know, be renewed. Um, uh, the renewing of your minds out of Romans 1. But Fitzsimmons Allison here is dead right. Um, retired Bishop of South Carolina, who's one of my heroes and is, is well known to a lot of folks around here. The Greeks didn't have a word to express what a change of heart means. We have a sin problem. We don't have a thinking problem. And sin proceeds from where? From the heart. Uh, for it is out of Matthew 15, I think it is, for it's out of the heart that such things proceed as murder and slander and envy and malice and adultery and things such as these. It is what proceeds from the heart which defiles a person, not what you think or what you say or what you do. Those are secondary. So, as Fitz once said, what God, what we need is not for God to be our psychiatrist, to give us you know, a healing of the mind, but we need a heart transplant surgeon. He's got to come and give us a new heart. And this is, in fact, this is kind of, think, this is kind of where the money is, because wherever this is, I don't know what all these words that I'm writing they're trying to do, but, um, but one corner I think that the Advent has been given to occupy is something like Reformational Anglicanism. Um, and this is Thomas Cramner's. This is also where Cramner, um, the, 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 the first Anglican, as it were, Archbishop under Henry VIII, who then became a convinced Protestant and put all that into his prayer book, which we still use every week. Uh, he was convinced of this as well, that repentance is the hinge upon which the human life turns, where it's a new understanding of not doing penance, of expressing sorrow and regret, and having a liturgy that sort of you know is built all around that, but out of the prodigal son, which is in fact where we heard this morning, we didn't preach on it, but, but out of Luke 15, where it's not doing penance, um, where the Latin translation of uh, penitentium agite came from, haha, uh, uh, and it's not even metanoia, having a change of mind, because we don't need a psychiatrist, we need something that goes deeper to a change of heart, that we find, as Cramner expressed in what we still hear, what we heard this morning in the service of morning prayer, or also an evening prayer, which means it's in the daily office, that if we did that, we'd hear it twice a day. This idea uh, that after we confess our sins, then the priest, the minister, stands and gives us the absolution of our sins. He frees us from our sins to absolve. And he says, now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ grant you true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. True repentance after confession 
it seems like it's wrong. If we had true repentance, then we would be forgiven. No, that's out of sequence. Um, the prodigal son gets that. And this is somewhere in there. And I'll end on this. Um, hopefully this will become a small pulpit for the next two minutes. Um, remember the prodigal, the wayward son. Um, says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the money now. Um, and the father crazily says, okay. Writes him a check, gives it to him. And he goes off to the wayward land, to the distant land, and he squanders it on wine, women, and song. Uh, but then he blows the wad, blows all of his money. And what does he do? He's, uh, he's destitute. He's walking around. He's begging for food. A good Jewish boy ends up in a pig trough eating pig food. Let that sink in. For an observant Jew to be eating pig food, pigs are unclean, much less their food. He's at his nadir. He's at his bottom. You know. Uh, and then what happens? He has a repentance. It's not a true repentance. It's a confession repentance. Like, Lord, we are truly and earnestly repent of our sins, and we're really sorry, and we're not going to do it again, etc. and so forth. What kind of repentance does he have? He has a metanoia. His mind says, I can do better than this. <laughs> I can go back to my dad and say, that I was wrong. Treat me as one of your hired servants, and just let me get by for the rest of my life. That was repentance, but it was metanoia. Uh, just I can do better than this, where he had a mental acquisition to life wins. It's beating me. I can't, I don't have any other options on the table. I'll go back to dad. I'll say I'm sorry. And I'll be on the low, lower than low, but at least I'll have food. So he does all that, has a speech prepared, goes back. He sees his dad. His dad sees him from afar off, hikes up his skirt runs out to meet him, very specific, it says that, and the father running out to meet him. And then what does the boy do? He starts, I start to cry a little bit, he starts to say, I'm sorry, Dad, I've sinned against you, I'm sorry, it's just, and that's all he gets out. It's true, what you were saying, Debbie, that's true. He sinned, he, he screwed up. The law had done its work. But then, what did the dad do? Shut his mouth and spoke true truth the way things are true and real and actual. He brought the boy to sobriety. He came to his senses and he saw the things that are really true. You are my son. There's nothing that you can do which is going to change that. And then he commanded, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Get a ring, put it on his finger, put shoes on his feet, all of which had great significance. For the son of mine who was lost is now found. Do you hear the bells? Um, uh, the son of mine who was lost is now found. Who was dead is now alive. And that is metacardia, a heart transplant. Not a change of mind, but a change of heart. To repent is to see things as they actually are. To call a thing a thing. To come to your senses, the Second Timothy says. Um, and that's the hinge upon which everything turns. And Cramner got that amongst all the reformers in some way. That's our heritage, the Anglican heritage of Thomas Cramner, where he then took that single idea, I don't think it's his overstatement, and then said, I'm going to build everything up for that, especially his liturgies, what we get as the prayer book, but also his homilies, uh, the 39 articles and some others. He saw that most deeply, that we're psychosomatic beings, that it's our heart that has the problem, and that everything else is built up from that. We have a sin problem, and we have to have a new heart. And that's where Anglicanism done well gets it. And this is a humble attempt to try to highlight some of those things. So.
Let me pray. And if you have any comments, happy to talk. Um, Lord, correct me where I'm wrong. I'm always wrong somewhere. But Lord, where your word, especially your gospel, would go forth, um, uh, let it go and let it do the work that it's given to do. Um, let us be humble uh, and gracious recipients of a grace that we do not deserve, um, but are gifted and overtaken by it. Uh, and then if you would will it, Lord, let us go forth and tell other beggars where to find bread. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.